Welcome to 1514, a podcast of the Biblical Counseling Coalition. Our goal is to help Christians understand the truth of Romans 15:14 that they are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to counsel one another. I'm one of your hosts, Curtis Solomon. And I'm Lincoln Liu, your other host. Be sure to check out other resources from the BCC at biblicalcc.org. Thank you for listening to 1514. We're really thankful to have you as part of our audience. Uh, the interview that you're about to hear is one that Lake and I, Lakin and I got to do with Paul Touches, who's a pastor and an author and a member of the BCC Council. And I was really excited to do an interview with Paul because I just, I just love the guy. He's such a Christ-like, humble servant who wants to help people understand Christ. And, uh, and he just wrote a book called Re- Remade. Embracing Your Complete Identity in Christ, where he really helps people understand who they are in Christ mm-hmm. as well. Uh, Lincoln, what what stood out to you about the interview? What was one thing that you liked about it? I love how he takes the categories of saint, sinner, and sufferer in those three lenses and puts it in a way of taking all of these doctrines and brings it down to everyday life and mm-hmm. then helps you learn not only how to take those doctrines um, that sometimes see big, but also put them into daily life through embracing it and just learning how to do that and have the sainthood as your foundation that then influences being a sinner and suffer. Yeah. No, well, I think that's a good hook right there. Hopefully our audience will <laughs> keep listening then. So thanks again for listening and we hope you enjoy today's episode. This episode is brought to you in part by the new MDiv from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. The strongest MDiv just got stronger. Southern Seminary introduced a new Master of Divinity degree in order to train, educate, and prepare students for a lifetime of faithfulness with even greater effectiveness. The benefits to students are greater personalization, increased specialization, and the opportunity to earn more credentials in an efficient amount of time. MDiv students who attend classes on Southern's campus pay for only their first nine hours each semester and take one or two additional courses for free. That reduces the cost of the Southern Seminary MDiv by thousands of dollars. Discover how you can benefit from the new Southern MDiv that is simplified, personalized, and incentivized at sbts.edu slash newmdiv. Well, Paul Touches, thank you so much for being with us on 1514. Would you mind introducing yourself to our audience? Yeah, hey, thanks again, Curtis and Lakin. Good to be with you. Yeah, I've been pastoring um, for over 30 years. The last uh, eight plus years have been in Cleveland, Ohio at Cornerstone Community Church. Um, the Lord has blessed me with a wife of 37 years, Karen, uh, 10 children, eight grandchildren, and just a very, very busy life. So God is good. 10 children and eight grandchildren. That <laughs> says busy, right? <laughs> Say no more. We can do a whole podcast on that. <laughs> well, while we, could, while we could do a whole podcast on that, we're actually here to talk about your latest book, which, which you have a few out there, and I highly encourage our audience to check out uh, mm-hmm. the other writings that you have done. But you're coming out right now with a new book, um, a devotional called Remade, Embracing Your Complete Identity in Christ. Can you tell us a, a little bit, like, what's the thesis of this book? thesis of the book? Yeah, well, uh, I will say, first of all, that I am more excited about this book than anything else I've written. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that it kind of encapsulates in one volume um, big f- categories of thinking as far as uh, sanctification is concerned, that is, uh, growing in Christ, becoming like Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, 
90 short chapters, taking 30 chapters to look through uh, one of three lenses. So we get through three lenses. Uh, the first lens is the lens of saint. That is, that's our primary position before God in Christ. God looks at us through Christ. Um, and uh, that then impacts how we then look at, at ourselves in the other two categories, which is sinner and suffer. And so how does our lens the lens of being in Christ and our secure position in him impact the way we look at ourselves and our sin and address our sin. And how does it impact the way that we look at ourselves when we are suffering and how we look at God and what he's trying to accomplish in our lives through our suffering. I mean, that's a super helpful structure to the book and obviously really great lenses to it. But the book is, is uh, also unique in a different way. It's not, a straight, necessarily a straight read-through kind of book. It's designed with 90 meditations. Would you describe that as a as a devotional? And Do you intend people to read it, like one of those meditations a day, or how can people approach the book? Yeah, certainly it should be read probably, you know, one a day, just because there uh, are exercises at the end of each one, um, three exercises every day, starting with talk to yourself. In other words, reflect on what you just read, how does it impact the way you look at yourself? Then talk to God and then talk to others. And so um, certainly it can and will be used, I'm sure, by individuals, but it's also structured in such a way that my hope and dream is that it is effectively used in personal, you know, one-to-one -one discipleship and or counseling, whatever you want to call it, but also in small groups um, in churches, because I think it's a... It, it's a desperately um, needed area of our thinking to think of ourselves as what is God doing in us and through us as he remakes us into the image of Christ. Now, as you just said, the identity is very important. Now, how does it um, kind of just impact day-to-day -day, rather than just maybe for big decisions or just big life circumstances? How and why is identity so important for people to contemplate and understand daily? Yeah, well, first of all, I guess I'd have to say that the huge difference um, is that as believers, our identity is already given to us by God. Mm -hmm. um, we live in a world that says you need to create your own identity. For us as believers, what we actually need to do is open God's word and discover who does God already say we are, and then how does that then impact the way that I live? I think of when Moses was called to be God's servant, there were two questions that Moses had, which I think are fundamentally the two most important questions any of us ask, which is, first he said, who am I, Lord? Mm. And then he said, who are you? And really, when it comes down to it, we have to understand who am I, and then, Lord, who are you? The beauty is that in the gospel, those two come together, and, and God is the one who then defines who we are. So, how that impacts me in my daily life and daily decisions, I guess, just think of one, one snippet of struggle that um, I, as well as I think most believers have, is we struggle at times with the basis of the how we measure our acceptance mm. by God. Um. I, for many, many years of my Christian life, was functioning on what Jerry Bridges calls the performance treadmill. 
And so I was evaluating my relationship with God based upon how I was doing on the performance treadmill. And um, that is just, that really leads to total burnout, but also leads to, you know, insecurity as far as like, who am I, Lord? If it's based on what I'm doing, then, oh man, there are good days and there are really, really bad days. Um, But if I instead look at who I am in Christ, Ephesians 1 says, I'm already accepted in the beloved one. And Hebrews tells me that Jesus is not ashamed to call me his brother. Well, that completely revolutionizes the way that I look at myself and my so-called performance before God. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's something that I know Lakin's probably remembers. I teach in our spiritual life dynamics class the importance of our understanding our union with Christ and different mm-hmm. be- yes. between and then our communion with Christ and how those are different. Um, and God is not going to look at you any differently on the day that you're reading your Bible versus the day that you are struggling with extreme self-righteousness or looking at porn or whatever. You're, his love for you and, and where you are in relation to him, if, you're, if you are a saint, is unchanging in that. Um, you mentioned, so the book being structured through those three lenses, can you give a couple examples of maybe some of the meditations you share on helping people understand their saint, the sainthood part of it. Yeah, for sure. So one would be um, we are justified uh, by God and before God. Um, That develops briefly the doctrine of justification by faith. That is, we are declared righteous by God, but also before God. And so on days when I have an overwhelming sense of my personal unrighteousness, I can run back to scripture and that God says I'm already declared righteous in Christ. That's a that's a position that's true of me. And then what I need to do then is to learn how to practice that position in my life. Really, mm-hmm. I like to say it this way, the really the essence of the Christian life is becoming what we already are. Mm. Amen. So becoming in our experience what we already are in our mm-hmm. position before God in Christ. So we're we're set apart to be a saint means to be set apart to God. So we're set apart. So we are set apart by God, for God, to God. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I wholly belong to Him. W H O L L Y. Wholly belong to Him, and therefore that's why I should then become holy. H O L Y. So you have the three lenses, um, and you hit on them um, in depthly and. Um, have just chosen those three topics um, as a, things that we should talk about in our identity. Why did you choose those three, and how do they impact one another if they are a skewed vision? Um, do they impact each other if they do? How so? Yeah, well, I chose the three because I do think that those three categories um, always pertain to us as believers. So as we already talked about, the, the, our sainthood, who we are in Christ, how God sees us, that's the primary lens that now we look at everything else in our lives through. So if we just lock in on one lens, if we just have a single lens view, um, that is going to be uh, skewed uh, no matter which way we go. Our view of ourself is going to be skewed. And when our view of ourself is skewed, Typically, our view of God is skewed as well, and and it works backwards as well. So those two are 
are kind of always related. But for example, if you if you look at yourself only through the sinner lens, that's all I think of myself. I'm just a sinner, you know, then I'm going to be daily defeated with my struggle against temptation. And I'm probably going to lose sight of who Christ is, who I am in Christ, in union with Christ. I'm probably going to forget that I have been raised up to new life with Christ. So I'm dead to sin and alive unto God in Christ. And I'm probably going to forget that I really do have every resource in the Holy Spirit and the word of God and union with Christ to walk in the newness of life that he calls me to walk in. Mm-hmm. So that would be one example. Um, if if I look at myself only as a sufferer, then I may fall into the pattern of thinking uh, that I'm a victim. I'm just a, a victim of my circumstances. I am a passive pawn on the chessboard of life. I'm just kind of being tossed here and there. Instead of seeing myself as an adopted child of God, so through the lens of sainthood, I'm now looking at my suffering. Wait a minute here. I am deeply loved by this Mm -hmm. God who gave his only son to purchase me, to make me his child. And he has promised me in, in his word that everything that he allows or brings into my life can be used to sanctify me to make me become more like Christ, to purifying, the purifying power of suffering, for example. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. And would you say then that saint should uh, be the first viewpoint that we kind of start with? We are um, a child of God, and then that'll help then inform how we view ourselves as a sinner and then a sufferer. Yes, absolutely. And that's the order in the book. You know, we spend the first 30 chapters thinking about what does it mean to be a saint? What does it mean that I am uh, set apart by God, for God, to God? And then looking at then my struggle with sin through that, I realized, wait a second, I don't have to sin. I still choose to sin, but I don't have to. I'm not being forced to sin anymore because I'm no longer a slave of sin. I'm now a slave of righteousness. And the victory that Jesus purchased for me through his death, burial, and resurrection mm-hmm. is is my victory and can be my experiential victory uh, day in and day out. And then s- same thing, looking at, at, at my suffering, when I'm in the midst of suffering, instead of a woe is me, I, I should think of myself as, wait a second now, here I am, a deeply loved child of God, and God's goal, according to Romans 8.29, is to conform me to the image of christ so even suffering in any one of the suffering you know forms of suffering that the apostle talks about in romans 8 can and should be used by god and and submitted to by me so that i am humbled and taught to be more dependent upon this god who loves me so that's really Really helpful. So one of our one of our brothers and colleagues has another book titled "Saint Suffers and Sinners," you know, by Mike Emlett. Uh, and your books are very different. So how do they? Mm. How do they? But they're tackling similar similar stuff. How do they complement one another? 
Yeah, they, they are different, and yet they, they complement each other. In fact, before I started writing this book, I actually reached out to Mike Emlett, and, and I said to him, you know, hey, your writing on this subject has really impacted me. I first uh, It first came to me through Mike's pen in his book, Crosstalk, I think, many, many years ago, and then, of course, further developed in uh, Saints, Suffers, and Sinners, and um so I actually asked him ahead of time, hey, do you mind if I write on this subject? Um, and uh, and he's, you know, he's like, no, go for it, you know. And in fact, he was even at one point going to write the forward to it and just life got away from him. Life got away from me. And it's just in the providence of the Lord. Um, but yeah, he's the, the first one, I think, in the in the biblical counseling world who kind of brought these three categories to my attention. The difference is that his book deals with it from the standpoint of the counselor or the spiritual friend who is helping someone else. Mine deals with it straight from the perspective of every single believer. Mm-hmm. It, it certainly is a tool for biblical counselors to use. In fact, I really hope that they use it um, because there's hardly any issue that it would not address theologically. Um but I really do hope that it's it's broadly used within, you know, the Christian world to understand better that salvation is not a transaction. Salvation is transformation. Mm. So when God began this good work in me, Philippians 1, 6, he also promised that one day he's going to finish it. So what is his role in that? What is my role as an obedient child? And, and how does that all work out toward his end and his glory? Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And one of the things I, I loved about, I love about the three lenses, I loved about Mike's book is he really confronts the reality that many of us have a tendency in our counseling to step towards people first or primarily as a saint or a sufferer or a sinner. Usually sufferer yeah. or sinner is like how we... We approach right, them, exactly, and that might hmm. depend on on the presentation problem or just our own personal tendencies. And I th- I think your book really will force mm-hmm. the counselor to do what Mike is trying to encourage them to do, to approach them as the whole the whole package. And I, I just think it's a, yeah. a great tool for counselors to like make themselves remember right. to to right. to care for people in all of those in all yep. of those ways. So I really appreciate you building out um and making very practical the that mm-hmm. concept. So thanks for thanks for doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it makes the counselors slow down mm-hmm. first of just being like, oh are they sinning or are they suffering and trying to discern which category they're in or if they're in both of being first like okay, this person is a saint, and then that influences the discernment of sinner and sufferer and how that's affected. So it really just helps you to yes. slow down and yeah. also be thankful that they are a saint in the midst of sinner, yeah. sin, uh, in the midst of sin and suffering. Yeah. yeah. I, I like how twice now you just, <laughs> Larry, you, twice you used the term slow down. And I would say that probably in the last few years, that has been the, the biggest lesson that God has been teaching me in my in my personal ministry of the word and even pulpit ministry of the word in the sense of slow down, Paul, you know, uh, one of the things, one of the images I paint in, in the book is that of sanctification road. So at the moment of salvation, God 
starts us on sanctification road. And I like to tell the people that I'm coaching and training to be counselors is we have to imagine sanctification road as a slow 15, maybe 25 mile an hour road that goes up and down and around corners and all of this. Whereas we tend to, and I include myself in this, my early days in biblical counseling, I think I viewed it more as a 70 mile an hour highway. Mm -hmm. And so I need to get on the highway and then get off on the nearest exit and, you know, get through that process. And, and I'm, reflecting on my own life, you know, next year will be 40 years knowing Christ. And I'm thinking, you know what? I'm still struggling with some of the same <laughs> stuff, you know, yeah. at the beginning of my Christian life. Mm -hmm. And yet God is so patient with me. Mm. Sanctification is a slow, slow process. So I love what you said um, because uh, we do tend to immediately say, okay, where is this person sinning? And where is this person suffering? Um, instead of stopping and saying, okay, first of all, who is God? Let's reflect on who God is. Yep. And then let's reflect on who we are. And then let's get into the weeds mm. of sin or the weeds mm. of suffering and how we respond to it. Well, and that's why it's so important and why the even the subtitle of the book is Your Complete Identity in Christ is because it's not a category mm -hmm. that somebody fits into. It's mm -hmm. not a presentation problem that we're addressing. It's a human yep. being who is a, if they're a believer in Jesus yes. Christ, they're a saint. <laughs> they are a sufferer. They're not just suffering and they mm -hmm. are a sinner. It's, it's part of, part of who they are. Um, and that, that helps the counselor, I think, hopefully minister better mm -hmm. than just thinking this is a problem or this is a, what a, you know, However, the many ways that we go yes, wrong. Yes. <laughs> we don't yeah, we don't fix we don't fix problems, we don't fix people. Yep. We we minister to people mm. with the grace mm. and truth of Christ and the spirit of God is the one who helps us to make progress and them to make progress and us to be involved in each other's sanctification. And I love to uh, hopefully the counselor goes through this with them as well, recognizing and reminding themselves that they are mm -hmm. saint, sufferer, and sinner as yeah. well. Yes. Not a... Yes. Not that we're on this path. We're on the road of sanctification together. Yeah. You know, mm. no, it's good. Now yeah, you, I see, you know, I've been in the biblical counseling world now for 30 years, and I still see this, almost this clergy laity you know, separation, and I've done everything in my writing I can to destroy this. <laughs> <laughs> and, and to say, wait a second now, we're, the ground is level at the mm -hmm. foot of the cross, that means the counselor is just as needy as the counselee. Yep. And yep. we've got to remember that. Mm -hmm. Amen. You talked about this being your favorite book that you have written so far. Can you tell us a little bit about why that is, why you're very passionate about it, and how that all came about. Yeah, I really do. I, I, I think it begins with my conversion. I mean, I was 19 years old in bondage to sin, and God just, by His grace, intruded into my life. And I came into a home Bible study in the Gospel of John, the Holy Spirit uh, saved me through the Gospel. I saw myself as Nicodemus in John 3. And I, I had religion. I did not have a relationship with Christ, um, regenerated by the Holy Spirit. 
through the gospel, and that just began this almost now 40-year journey of growing in Christ. And I think the passion of my life and the passion of my ministry has always been summed up uh, by what Paul says in Colossians 1.28, um, Christ we preach, Christ we proclaim. Um, his goal was to present every believer to God in spiritual maturity. And so I guess I would have to say that has really been the driving passion of my ministry, um, whether it's personal ministry of the word or public ministry of the word. And so I think that this book just really, for me, encapsulates what does it mean to come to Christ, to be converted by the Spirit of God through the gospel? Um, and then how does that faith, that saving faith, get worked out in my daily life? Mm. Um, and so there's a sense in which this entire book it is, it is teaching and instructive, but there's a sense in which it is almost also a, a testimony of my life mm -hmm. and how God has worked and is continuing to work uh, to finish the work that he started, because he, he really did. He started that in the early months of 1984. I was looking for something. I didn't know what, <laughs> you know, and, um, and. Now I look back on it and say, okay, that was the Spirit of God rototilling the soil of my heart, making it ready to receive the seed of the gospel, and boom, from there, something brand new happened, and it hasn't stopped. <laughs> Amen. I really, I think the cover is a beautiful cover, um, and it, it depicts, um, I'm not sure if this was the imagery in the back <laughs> of your mind or not, but, but like a shattered pot that's put back together, but it's glued together in a sense with gold. And there's a, I can't remember, it's Japanese or... It is a Japanese, yep. yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, yep. Uh, Japanese Kintsugi. Yes, thank you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so tell, like, tell everybody where, what, where did the image come from and what, are, what yeah. is it portraying? Well, you know, um, I mean, I had seen it visually, of course, for years, but I never understood it. And, and actually, Johnny Erickson Tata is the one who explained it to me. Um, in a conference talk that she did, because her husband's Japanese, and so that was a lead into her um, describing this this Japanese form of art, which is hundreds of years old. And and the the Japanese, when when a precious piece of pottery broke, they didn't just throw it away like we do. You know? <laughs> they mixed they mixed gold dust in with lacquer and used that to put it back together. Um, and the gold actually draws more attention to the fact that it was once broken, but it is now more beautiful than it was before. And, and what a beautiful picture that is of our lives. Yeah. All of us, we have been broken by sin. Mm -hmm. But in redemption, Christ puts us back together, and he puts us back together in such a way that all of our brokenness is not hidden mm -hmm. from view. Yeah. It's redeemed and actually used in his ministry. Mm -hmm. uh, and that gives me so much hope that whether I've broken it myself through sin or whether I feel I'm being broken by suffering, mm -hmm. God is through the redemptive work of Jesus. 
he's putting me back together in such a way that even all those cracks are made more beautiful by Christ and reflect his grace, mm. not my performance or my goodness, but totally the grace of God. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's a, that is a beautiful picture. And, um, often tell people that if you think about the icon that we are, right, created in the image of God in Genesis, set up in this earth to point to God as ruler, but like a, but that icon is a marble statue and it gets tipped off the pedestal and shatters into a million pieces. Because I think some, you know, some people might think, well, we're not made born perfect, but we were made perfect. And then we were shattered, but, and then Jesus gathers together those pieces and begins gluing them back together. And we more and more and more reflect the Christ and what we were created to be originally. So Mm -hmm. I I just love, when I saw the cover, I'm like, ah, this is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And it's one, I like how the title underneath it says embracing your complete identity Mm -hmm. in Christ, because embracing it, like there is a difference between knowing that, um, the Lord has yes. built you back up and there is the gold in between that. The Lord is um, just shining through the sinning and the suffering, but yeah. to embrace it is a whole nother step of embracing that the Lord has done this for you and he's continuing to work in you and just letting that shine through so that others can see him more clearly, like to embrace it is so that other people can see him and his work. Yeah. yeah. Amen. So, Paul, tell us a little bit about <clears throat> the writing process for you. Um, with this book in particular, I'm not sure if it's different mm-hmm. from book to book to book, but I'm curious um, about how you write. Yeah, this one was a little bit different, um, as was the anxiety devotional, a little bit different. But they're the same in the sense that I've never once sat down and said, okay, I'm going to write a book, and this is what I'm going to write it about. All of my <laughs> writing... All of my writing just flows out of my regular pastoral ministry. Mm. Um, And then I've done a lot of writing. I've been blogging now for 13 years. And so I I tend to blog about the things that God is teaching me, you know, through his word. And and over the years, the Lord has just opened some doors that um, some of that blog material can be reworked and utilized in a book form. You know, that was certainly the case for some of the chapters in my anxiety devotional. That definitely is the case for some of the chapters in in this book. So for me, um, so my main, you know, my main, my main ministry is to pastor uh, and to preach and feed and nourish my flock with God's word um, publicly on Sundays and then privately through whatever conversations I have uh, during the week. Um, and then I tend, for me, writing is just an essential part of my own growth. I don't, I, it sounds really selfish, but I really do first write for myself before I write for anyone else. And because writing for me is just a process that forces me to, to get my thinking process down on paper so that I can evaluate it. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Is my thinking correct here? Am I thinking right? Am I thinking biblically about this? And um, and it allows me to sometimes to get get my guts on a page, you know, in the sense you just get my emotions out, get my what the Lord's teaching me out onto paper, 
um, and or out onto a blog post. And, and it may sit out there for years before I realize, oh, you know what? I think I did a blog post on this like seven or eight years ago. And you know, <laughs> maybe, it, maybe it would be useful for something. And so I can just take and rework and rework and rework. So that, that really is the process. And then for this one, just, you know, because it was so many chapters, even though they're very connected in thought, each chapter really does stand alone as well. So mm. um, my staff was really gracious with me toward the end of the summer of 22, um, where they said, hey, why don't you just work from home for the next month? And you just deal with this book, you know. <laughs> so, you know there's, there's this, there's this, there's this uh, room above uh, our garage that um, we just put a six foot plastic table there, and I brought all my books that I thought I might need for this project, and I just camped out with my laptop, looking out the window at my front yard, and that's when it all kind of came together in its final form. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for thank you for sharing that. Uh, we're going to do two minute favorite segment in a minute, but before we do that, just want to ask you: Is there any last final word of encouragement that you would like to give to our audience? Well, I I just would like to say again, I I hope the Lord uses this book really to help believers just bask in the glory of Christ as our Redeemer, mm-hmm. as the one who saves us from our sin, but then doesn't just leave us there to fend mm-hmm. for ourselves to figure out the Christian life. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we are in union with him. That's one of the secondary themes throughout the book. Um, and and as we walk with him, he is remaking us mm-hmm. uh, into the glorious image of our Savior. And one day when we see him face to face, we're going to be like him. And And I just want people to remember that <laughs> one day it's going to happen yeah. amen well thank you thank you for that well we do have a segment at the end that we do called two minute favorites and it's it's aptly named it's two minutes of time where we ask you your favorite things and lake and i are going to take turns asking you questions and you just fire out what your favorite thing is you ready for that well, I guess I have to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, nobody would know if not, because we just cut it off. Yeah, that's right. All right. So we, well, I'll start with a few softball ones uh, and yeah. then go into some harder ones. So uh, what is your favorite color? Green. What is your favorite food? Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> I would say... Breakfast. Favorite sport. And, and that would include just so many things. So I'll just, I'll, I'll give you a meal answer instead. My That's favorite right. meal is breakfast. <laughs> favorite sport? Well, I never play it, but golf. Because it's, it's very relaxing, and it's one of the few things in life that I don't take myself seriously at. Um, favorite superpower? Invisibility while flying. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Favorite gift you've ever received? Oh, boy. I would say um, a brown leather recliner from my wife that she had saved up for for a long time that we sadly had to leave 
in Wisconsin when we moved to Ohio because the moving truck was full. Favorite word? Gallivant. Favorite gift you've ever given? Favorite gift I've ever given? (laughs) Oh, my. I guess my wife's wedding ring. Mm-hmm. Okay, this one is a one I'm making up because you're. A, are you an Ohio State fan? No, but I do oh. live in Ohio State. <laughs> I'm done, a Packers done. fan. Living in Ohio. <laughs> done. <laughs> well, our two minutes is up, and uh, Lakin is from Ohio, so yeah. she had to throw that in I there. I did. I had to. Oh, I heard Ohio, and I couldn't resist. Yeah. Well, well, Paul, thanks so much for being with us on fifteen fourteen today, and thanks so much for writing uh, remade. Thank you. It's been a blessing to be with both of you. Thanks for listening. Make sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And special thanks to our team who helped make this podcast possible. My assistant, Rebecca Mullins, helps coordinate these interviews. And our podcast engineer, Caleb Lau, does a great job editing and putting everything together. We look forward to you joining us next time.